Good morning, Northfield. It's uh, really good to be here with you. And good morning, kids. Yeah, you guys clapped the loudest. Uh. Well done. <clears throat> As Vic said, uh, this morning we are into our fourth Sunday of the season of Advent. And uh, you and I get to reflect on the theme of love. And it's really cool that we've had all these baptisms and family and kids because I think we can all see love right in front of us as these families stand and make promises to God in the sacraments of baptism. But as I realized in my prep, and uh, I've been on leave, so I kind of tried to disconnect and then went to the notes and realized that the scripture reading for today is one from Luke's Gospel. And I was really excited because this reading that we get to unpack today is probably the most important, uh, one of the most revolutionary, and perhaps one of the most ignored texts in all of Scripture. It is a song, a song that is found only in Luke's Gospel in chapter 1, and we know this song as Mary's song. And so it happens today that there are a whole bunch of moms in the sanctuary and a couple of pregnant moms. And so I find uh, the work of the Holy Spirit quite fitting uh, that today we reflect on Mary's song. In this gospel that we will read this morning, we find that Mary is visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth we know to be the mom of John the baptizer. And it's during this visit when Mary goes to visit her cousin that Elizabeth asks her a question. And she says, how could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? Now we know Mary is aware that she is going to give birth to the Christ child. And Mary is reminded of those words that Gabriel shared with her when he appeared to her and spoke to her and unpacked God's plan for this child. And so here standing at this entrance to Elizabeth's home, Mary hears this question and she experiences a warm love that is offered by Elizabeth to her. And so Mary sings. And she sings a song that magnifies the Lord and proclaims God's greatness and rejoices that God is her Savior. But now this isn't just a song. A song that Mary composes at the entranceway to her cousin's home. It is way more than that. This morning I want to suggest that this song was probably composed in her head during her travels from Nazareth to go and meet with Elizabeth, to go and see her cousin, to go and share of this news. You see, this song, this Mary's song that is only found in Luke's gospel, is deeply saturated in Scripture. Mary's words allude to passages from Psalm 22 and Psalm 44 and Psalm 103 and many others. And Mary also leads to Hannah's song that is found in 1 Samuel, deeply saturated in Scripture. This song of Mary, I believe, is a song that wasn't just sung once when she met with Elizabeth. 
this song of Mary became a lullaby. And I know the moms will relate with me this morning. A song that she continued to sing. To sing to Jesus in her womb. To sing to Jesus as he runs around. As he starts learning, as he starts walking. A lullaby that she would continue to sing over Jesus in his early years of growing up. A song of love. A song that she always sang for Jesus. Now just for a moment, I want us to acknowledge the deep, deep love that a mother has for her son and a son that has for his mother. And to take you to the symbol, that powerful moment when the world was changed forever. That moment that Jesus is nailed to a cross and he looks down and he sees Mary. And he shares those words of the psalmist. Those words that have many phrases and expressions that we find in the very song that Mary sang to him. It's in this moment as if Jesus is singing a duet, a lullaby to Mary and offering her song back to her. The song that she offered him as an expression of his love for her. Such a powerful moment of a Savior's love. The same love that we experience during the season of Advent. So I know that's a long introduction to Mary's song. But I pray as you hold this moment that we've created together in the sanctuary... We reflect on Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. It will come up on the screen. But I also want you to listen to the words that are being sung this morning. So I'm not going to read the scripture. I want you just to take a moment to reflect on the words as they come up on the screen and listen to this song as if Mary is singing it to you this morning as a deep act of love. Thanks, Brad. My soul magnifies the Lord, and 
Thanks to God for these words that are proclaimed through Mary. Amen. Moms, you are more than welcome to sing that lullaby to any of your children. Friends, having heard about the importance and the significance of Mary's song, I want us to familiarize ourselves with just the context of this moment. Because as in every story, including our stories, our life stories, the details really matter. You see, Mary is a poor young girl of approximately 15 years of age who finds herself pregnant before she's married. And in all likelihood, she is facing public scorn and, and possibly even death. Her cousin, Elizabeth, is old and shamed and, and known for being the disappointing wife of a local priest. The idea that these two women play a dramatic role in the story of the birth of Jesus, that these two women end up influencing world history, is in a word unthinkable. And so I ask the question, why them? I think of this question every year as we move closer to Christmas. Why Mary? Did God maybe ask five or six other women before one of them finally said yes? I don't think so. I think, friends, it is no accident that the mother of Jesus is a poor 15-year-old girl. An unexpected, surprising choice. Jesus did come to earth as a child of a government official with power, a synagogue leader. isn't the son of a decorated Roman military hero. He's the son of a 15-year-old poor girl. I was about probably 10, 11, 12, somewhere there, and I remember driving in the car with my dad. And he said, hey, Quinn, in the cubbyhole, you just want to take out a song that I want to play. I really like the song. And my dad was a local preacher at the time, and thinking back, he was probably processing some sermon prep. And, and then I took this thing called a TDK cassette tape. 
Do you remember that? Some of you are probably thinking, Quinn, what on earth are you talking about? The TDK tape and out the little plastic box and, and I put it into the car radio. And there was no selection on. You had to go fast forward until you get. So anyway, I put the song in. And the song that played asked a very astute biblical and theological question. It's a song I'm sure you've all heard before. And the question that this artist asked as we were driving on the highway listening to a TDK tape. What if God was one of us? Do you know that song? What if God was one of us? And that is the point, isn't it, friends, of the Christmas story. The incarnation, God in human form. The Christ child, Emmanuel, God is with us. This great story is about a love. A love that is often beyond our comprehension that bridges the gap between heaven and earth. And this morning I want to call it an Advent kind of love. Maybe as you sit here in the sanctuary this morning, maybe God is feeling a little bit distant for you. Maybe you're feeling somewhat removed from God this morning. Maybe you're just saying, Quinn, you know what? It's really hard to feel God's presence. But the gift of Advent and the reminder of Advent is always of God's hope and peace and joy and love. And that as we move closer to receiving this Christ child, we become more aware of the presence of God that somehow reminds us that he is not distant, but he is Emmanuel, God that is with us. And more than ever in the season of Advent, we meet him in the music that we sing, those Christmas carols, the carols that we hear, in the magic of twinkling lights against the dark night sky, even glimpses of love that are offered to us when we receive a message, one of those hundred WhatsApp messages from dear friends. And we marvel at each of those relationships and what they mean in our lives. Because all of them have Advent love as the golden thread going through them. In the midst of the busyness of the season and, and all the stress that goes with the this time of Christmas and the family disagreements about who's coming to sit for lunch at the Christmas table. I know some of you are having those conversations now. It's in all of these moments that the love of Emmanuel fills us with a sense of wonder and awe because God is with us. And that's what God's love is. For God so loved the world that God chooses to enter the world as one of us, a real flesh and blood human being, to comfort us in our loneliness and to reduce our stresses and our anxieties. And isn't that such good news? 
I've been on leave for two weeks, as I said, and I've just been reflecting on ministry here throughout this year. And what I've come to, to hold on to is that to fully understand each other as a community, we have to walk in each other's shoes. Because when we do this, we'll begin to grasp the realities that each of us have. And we'll begin to process and, and discover what it means to be a community and ultimately experience communion life together. We can only do that if we walk in each other's shoes. You see, all of us are wired to be with people. We see this all around this community of Northfield where where all of us in one way or another find great solace in being in some kind of a support group. People who are grieving go to grief support groups. It doesn't take away their sadness while they're there, but, but somehow it makes it easier to bear the load. Knowing that other people have had a similar experience to what I have and have felt what I feel. And to help me realize that I am actually part of a human family. Each week here at Northfield, we have a 12-step group that is run by AA. And, and it's a common ground for people who are trying to break habits and develop healthier ones. There are caregiver support groups and, and groups with people living with cancer and, and loss groups. All of these just listening circles of people who gather to listen to one another. And it's in these moments as community where we gather and we're able to listen to one another and hear another person's story that we're able to say, I am not alone. But there's more than just gathering in listening circles to listen. Because when we gather and we share our common community story, Jesus is with us in the story. Our Jesus comes to earth as a real human being to experience every one of our emotions, to let us know that we are never rendered alone when we are in a listening circle with everyday ordinary people like you and I who live pretty messy lives. Theologians maybe call it incarnation. Perhaps pastoral caregivers call it empathy, but I call it Advent love. It's the Advent love that Jesus Christ offers us, that meets us in our moments where we feel like the world and the bottom of our lives is falling out. Going back to Luke's gospel for a moment, Mary and Elizabeth, these two women, you can imagine they stand in at the, the doorway at the entrance to Elizabeth's home and, and their eyes lock and they look at each other and, and one of them says, I'm too old to be a mother. The other one says, I'm too young. And both babies stir in their mother's wombs. And the mothers smile and they look at each other and all they can do is laugh as they say to themselves, only God. Only God could do something as incredible as this. And then Mary starts the song. 
this song with those powerful words. Words that remind us that this baby is not just a blessing for Mary, not a private gift, but a blessing and a gift for the entire world. A blessing for those who need it most. A blessing that will turn this world upside down. And so the song of Mary tells us, tells us what God's wish is for this world. When will you learn, God is saying, that rich people aren't more important than poor people? When will you learn, God says through Mary, that you'll never find joy in your riches where there are hungry people all around you? When my will is done, those who act as if they're better than others will be humbled. The last will be first. Those who are full of themselves will be emptied. The hungry will be filled with good things. These are the lyrics to Mary's song. It's a song that gives us a glimpse of the agenda for Jesus' life. Jesus comes to free us from a life of grasping for power and money and things and materialism. And he comes to us and he says, Quentin, you are enough just as you are, just as God's created you to be. And he's saying that to you today, friends, and I need you to hear it. Maybe it's a message you've been longing to hear. That you are enough just as you are. Because God has created you just to be the way that you are. Is there any more loving message this Christmas Advent season than this message? Friends, the words we say and the songs we sing, they are very important. Because words and songs shape who we are. And they help us shape our own identities, our own stories. You see, Mary's song that we're unpacking today shapes this baby Jesus and helps make him into the man that he is to become. The Savior of the world. And every time we hear it and remember it, it will change us into people who become more like Jesus. People who are more attuned to God's wishes for this world. More in tune for what God wants for our lives. In my introduction when I started, I said that Mary's song is a revolutionary song. And I say this because Mary through this song is sharing with us today how we can receive and extend this Advent love to all people. We have to receive the love of Christ, but not be selfish and hold it for ourselves. We have to offer it. And so I just want to lift up uh, three aspects from our scripture reading today, just to unpack a little bit of this Advent revolutionary kind of love. In verse 51, Mary's song says these words, He has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud. This message conveys a moral revolutionary thought. Mary here is speaking of the death of pride. 
in our world today, our society today, we hold on to a lot of pride. I know men sometimes circle a little bit more with pride than women. And the song is saying to us that we, we need to move away from wanting to turn a blind eye to those in need and, and have the courage to ask for help when we need it. See, because pride, when pride gets in the way, it can hold us back from acting on God's direction for our life. It can get in the way of us being obedient. And I know as we sit here this morning, some of us are really battling with pride. The second thing I lift from the text is that Mary says, He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You see, Mary knows she is nothing special in the eyes of the world. She is a 15-year-old poor girl. She is a poor young girl who is yet to be married. She sees her situation as God exalting the lowly. God has seen it fit to use a poor girl to bring the greatest gift to mankind. And we can learn from this, friends. Society today puts a lot of importance on prestige and wealth. Somehow we think the more we accumulate throughout our lives, the better we are at the end. But God has proven that the world's labels and prestige are not that important to Him. He is looking at our hearts. He is looking at our hearts just as He looked at Mary's hearts. The last thing I lift out of Scripture is, Mary sings these words, He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And this is one that I really struggle with, and those of you that know me would understand why. If we live in a world that proclaims that we are full of Jesus people, then why are there still hungry people in the world? Because God's world word tells us that the status of our bank accounts will not matter when we have finished running the race. And so to live in obedience to God, we should not gain wealth and let our fellow man go hungry. And when I speak of hungry, I'm not just talking about putting food in an empty stomach. I'm talking about sharing the good news for those who are spiritually starved. Now before you say, Quinn, having wealth is not a bad thing. I'm on the same page as you. But the issue is, how we choose to use our wealth matters. Because do we use our wealth to glorify God. Friends, the songs we sing are so important. We know that our beautiful country, South Africa, was liberated through song. We know that throughout history, those thirsty for power have tried to make themselves feel powerful and important by stripping away layers of humanity and dignity. But they couldn't control everything. Some of those who were on the margins maintained their sense of self by singing whenever and wherever and however long they wanted to sing. 
And some of their songs that were sung during the many liberation struggles throughout our world were songs that go directly back to the center of Scripture, especially the story of Moses leading the people out of Egypt. Throughout song, those who were enslaved maintained their identity as much as possible because songs are powerful. About two months ago, we unpacked a little bit of Acts, and, and I don't know if you remember in Acts, there's that story, the story of Paul and Silas that are jailed. And they begin to sing, and what happens? The chains are broken, and the walls crumble, and the earth shakes, and they are liberated because songs are powerful. I read a story this week about the pain in Germany. When it was a difficult place during the time of the Berlin Wall, food items were scarce and people used to queue long lines to get whatever they could get and there weren't enough schools for the kids. And the secret police were controlling and they were corrupt. And people began to feel desperate for change. And in a town called Leipzig, a group of people formed the resistance movement. And every Monday night they would gather by candlelight around St. Nikolai Church, the same church where the composer Bach uh, had so many of his works created. And as they gathered there, they would sing. They would sing by candlelight. And you know what happened? In two months' time, their numbers grew from a little more than a thousand to more than three thousand. Over half of the town's population would gather and sing songs of hope and protest and justice. And in just a few months, the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. Later on, one of the pastors that led this resistance asked the former secret police commander why they didn't crush this protest as they did with all the others. And his answer was this, he said, we had no contingency plan for singing and praying. We had no contingency plan for song and for prayer. Songs can be powerful. Friends, in closing, it's time for us. It's time for us to sing songs that magnify the Lord, proclaiming God's greatness and rejoicing in God as our Savior. It's time for us to sing songs for the homeless, for the widows, for the orphans, for the unemployed youth who probably won't find jobs in January. It's time for us to sing for those who are impacted against with gender-based violence. It's time for us to sing against the corruption that has taken place in our country. It's time for us to sing against greed, against fear. It's time for us to sing Mary's revolutionary song in Luke chapter 1. A song that will shape us and shape all the generations to come. It's time for us to sing God's love song so that those who are grieving will be comforted, those who are sick will experience healing. Those who are confused will find the right way. It's time. It's time for the world to start singing 
And so let us sing for love's sake. Amen. Will you pray with me as I invite the worship team forward? So Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that you are love itself. You are the one who came to this world and lived amongst us and felt our pain and felt our sorrow and, and understood what a messy life and a messy world looks like. But you are also the one, Jesus, that came to us and offered us a, a hope by giving us an unconditional love. A love that reminds us that we are your beloved sons and daughters. And as we give thanks, Holy Spirit, for the scripture reading today, we pray that you will give us the courage to sing the songs just as Mary sang. In the midst of uncertainty of what tomorrow brings, give us a song that proclaims the goodness and the glory of God. And as we prepare our hearts to and move towards Christmas in a week's time. Will you help us reflect on what it is to be a people who live lives that reflect just a little bit of the Jesus way of life? Help us to acknowledge that less is more, that love is being seen, and that we can go out into this community around us and go and share the good news that we have heard that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all people. Help us to go and share this message of Advent love with every opportunity we have. And so as the people of God, we say together, Amen.